For today's passage, we will be looking at a few more verses before the passage that you have printed in your bulletins. So I encourage you to pick up your Bible. Uh, we're just going to look at, in addition to verses 46 through 54, verses 43 to 45 in your Bibles. So we're in John chapter 4, verses 43 through, 4, through 54. And reading the word of God. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself hath testified that a prophet has no honor in his own is in, in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come to, from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever let him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live and he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he, was, when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we have been studying this book, the book of John, we have learned that faith is something that comes from you that is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts who give us new life in Christ, that we are born again by your will. We thank you that you didn't leave us um, to come to you on our own strength and our own desire because we know, Lord, that we will have never come to you. It is your grace and mercy that reach to us in our hearts to bring us to you. And we thank you that as we look at these uh, verses, we see an example of what you do when you bring somebody to understand that you are the hope of this life, that you are the Savior. May you help us, Lord, to recognize in these verses what you intended to teach us 
through them with this interaction that you have with this official. And may you help those that are trying to understand the good news, the gospel, to see in these verses the gospel. May you send the Holy Spirit to them and give them new life in Christ as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the past three years, three or four years, Sandra and I have become experts on using thermometers. Uh, we have more than one at home. I think that we have around four of them. Um, and I'm saying that we have become experts because when you have little kids around and they get sick, which happens very often in our case, it's almost every two to three weeks, they have something. Uh, one of the things that we have to do at home uh, recommended by the doctor is that we need to check their temperature. We need to know how high is their fever. Um, so if it's, I think, 103, then you have to run to the hospital. If it's under 102, you can try to manage at home. But it's always very tricky. Then sometimes we use the three temp thermometers checking, and they give us all three different results, which make us crazy. And and we uh, call the on-call doctor and ask the same question again and again is, what do we do? When do we go to the doctor? And, and then we, we have the blessing of being here in Philadelphia and being able to go to Children's Hospital and take them there and they take good care of them. Now, when I think about all this and what we have available to us as parents these days, I mean, we have three thermometers, one for each part of the body to check, um, and, with, and, and they will say that they, are very, they have great precision to give you a good result when you, when you think about all these, and, and I try to put myself in the shoes of people 2,000 years ago, and how stressful it was for them to see their child sick with fever. I think, um, Somebody might correct me by the end of the sermon that I think the thermometers were developed around the 16th century. And, uh, and for sure at that time, they didn't have these equipments. I'm 100% sure about that, that they didn't have the equipments that we have today to check temperature, blood pressure, oxygen levels, and all these things that you almost can have a hospital at home. They did not have those things. And, and it was very stressful. Um, and think about this, they couldn't go to a hospital to, to know that somebody's gonna take care of their child. And, and when a man like this will see his son at home with high fever, he didn't even know how high was the fever. He just knew that he, the son was weak and that he has seen around kids dying from that because there was no, I don't, I'm going to use words, I'm going to use uh, brands, but I think that I'm not making any commercial for Tylenol, Ibuprofen, and all these brands. They didn't have those things around, and, and it was very stressful for, for, a, for a parent to see their son so sick. And for that, I think that you can understand how he will go and walk around 25 miles, four hours away, just to find hope somewhere else, as we see in this passage. 
And I think that if you have read this story before, we, when, when we read it and we see even the title of the, the passage in our Bibles, Jesus heals an official son, we, we, are, we are tempted to focus in the miracle, in the sign that is in front of us. But this passage is more than a passage that tells us about Jesus doing a miracle. This passage tells us about belief. It teaches us about faith. And in that matter, you don't have to be a parent. We are all in the same boat. We are all challenged with the same thing, with believing. And there are three, three aspects of that that we'll see from these verses. And I'm going to tell them all of them right away so that you keep them in mind or you write them in your paper, whatever you have in front of you. The first one is confronting unbelief. The second one is developing belief. And the third one is maturing belief, confronting unbelief, developing belief, and then maturing belief. Let us start with confronting unbelief. Here we have in the first few verses, uh, verses 43 through 45, one of the most famous uh, phrases that Jesus said. I'm saying this because I have heard this phrase used by many people in different occasions, in the church and outside the church. People that are Christians and people that are not Christians, they use it often in different circumstances. This is that a prophet has no honor in his own town. A prophet has no honor in his own town. People often use that phrase again in the church and outside the church. But when you read the verses and when you read these verses, you will realize, um, I realized about that after using it many times, maybe in a wrong way, I realized about that, that, that what Jesus is intending to, to communicate with this is not what we usually say when we use this sentence. Often when we say a prophet has no honor in his hometown, we we, we mean that that prophet or that person have to move to another place. You should go to another place because you will not have honor in your own town. Or we use it to explain why people don't believe in us when we are sharing something with others. And I think it makes sense. People in our own town, people who are members of our own family know all our problems. And then we struggle to convince them of something because they will always try to say, but I seen you doing this, I seen you saying this, and you are very inconsistent. But again, of, so often this phrase is used to tell people, that's why it is important that you move to another town. I didn't have honor in Colombia, they moved to Philadelphia. But when you read what John is saying here, you, you see, that's not what Jesus is doing. So Jesus was in Judea, and he was becoming very successful in his ministry as he was baptizing more people than John the Baptist. And he knew that the Pharisees had heard about this. And because of this, he decided to leave Judea to go to Galilee. 
He decided to leave Judea because he knew what was in man's heart, and he knew that when the Pharisees learned about his success in ministry, they will not come to Jesus to, to ask him, My, uh, teacher, please, we want to learn from you. They will come to persecute Jesus. And he decides to go through uh, Samaria. You remember that Jews will try to go around Samaria so they will not come across Samaritans because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along well. But Jesus decided to go through Samaria because he had this divine appointment with this woman. Uh, he shared the good news to her, with her, that, that he had that water that can calm her thirst. Eventually, that woman understood who Jesus was, and she went to her town, and many Samaritans came to hear the good news from Jesus. Now Jesus is going after two days, departing to Galilee. And here is what is, I mean, when I read these passages, I smile. And it's because it's so exciting to find attention sometimes in the text, because when you find that, is that there is a profound teaching in what you, you have in front of you. John is saying that Jesus departed for Galilee. Galilee was his hometown. I mean, he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, but he grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee is his hometown. And the explanation for going to Galilee is that a prophet has, home, has no honor in his hometown. Think about this. The reason why Jesus is going into Galilee is because, because that forest, because a prophet has no honor in his own town. Maybe in the past when you read this, you didn't even pay attention to the place where he was going or the place where he was coming from, and you just heard this. A prophet has no honor in his own town. Most likely, you think like, well, Jesus is moving to another town because he has no honor where he was, his hometown. But Jesus was in Samaria, which was not his hometown, and he's going to Galilee because he has no honor there. Then I, I guess that by this point you, you have a couple of questions in your mind, right? I think that John make it even more challenging for you if you read the rest. So, therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. He goes to Galilee because a prophet has no honor there, because he didn't have honor there. And when he goes there, you will think, oh, he was honored there. Because the Galileans welcomed him. And saying, you will think he was honored there. Because that's not necessarily what is happening here. He was welcome there. So how do you understand this? What is Jesus doing here? I think that it is explained by the following line and the rest of the context of the text. So, therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he hath done in Jerusalem at the feast. 
What is this revealing? That when the Galileans welcomed Jesus, did not welcome Jesus because they really honor Jesus, but because they have seen signs. And they were following signs. How do you know that? Just go down and reverse 40, 48. Jesus challenged them, saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Their faith and their belief was not real. They were following signs. And that's why they welcomed Jesus. Here it comes, the miracle worker. Let us gather together. We can get something from him. He can heal our diseases. He certainly knows how to make water into wine. We can drink some wine. He can multiply bread. We can eat plenty and go home full. But why is then Jesus going there if he believed that a prophet, and he has said that a prophet has no honor in his own town, he's going there, I think, because he's going there to confront unbelief. He's going there to challenge their unbelief. Look, he was in Samaria, and he was successful in his ministry. And people were coming to him, if you remember, not just because they have heard what the woman told them, but they told the woman, we have heard from him directly, and we believe that he is the Savior. He's coming from a place where they were believing in his word. And that's why they were running to Jesus. But he's coming to Galilee, even though he knows that he has no honor there, because he's coming to confront unbelief. He's coming to reveal to them that they do not really believe, that there is something that needs to change in their hearts. Is that something that only happened at that time? It's something that continues to happen today. There are many Christians that go to churches, big mega churches, where they are offered prosperity. They are offered miracles. They are offered signs and wonders. And people are going there because they are trying to get something that they have been offered in these places. I'm not saying that people won't find Christ in those places. I know people. I know people who have gone to these churches and become Christians because the word of God is powerful. Because even in the middle of that distraction that is happening there, the word of God reaches people's hearts and people come to faith in Christ. Jesus is going there because he is confronting the unbelief or the false belief that the Galileans have. Now let us move to developing belief. So he came to Galilee, he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which is about 25 miles from the place where he was, is four hours uh, distance from that place, there was an official. 
So that official is a basileikos. Basileikos is the Greek word for official there. But that really means more than just an official, is a royal person. You could say that probably he might have been an official of Herod court. He was a person who was important. He was a person who was powerful. He was a person who had financial means. He was a person who had respect from people. And he was a person who had servants serving him. Certainly, he was a person who had all he could had at that time available to take care of the illness of his son. He had it because of his position. But the situation and um, the son's illness have taken to a place where he realized that nothing he has can solve the problem that he has in front of him. And we have heard the story of many wealthy people who get ill and they realized that there is no wealth that can solve an illness that science has not discovered a cure. So this is the man who is a powerful man who realizes that his son is sick and most likely will die in his mind. He's seeing it because he has seen it. And he has heard that Jesus have done powerful things in other places. Therefore, he goes to Jesus. He goes to Jesus. He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Think about what this means for this royal person to come to Jesus, a carpenter, and in front of everybody, confess that he has nothing to do to take care of his son. But Jesus has something. I won't say that his man, this man's faith was big, but at least he has heard Jesus had power. And at this point, he has realized he has no power himself to take care of the situation of his son. And that's, that's basically the combination of faith. When faith comes to a person, is the realization of your own brokenness and your inability to take care of your own needs and understanding that Jesus has something that you can not solve. So he comes to Jesus and he asks him, come down to heal my son. Please, calm down to heal my son. What that took from him was humility. The situation has humbled the man to that point. Now, Jesus' answer is surprising, right? Maybe surprising for you when you see, you see Jesus saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You know why? Because we know that Jesus knows what is in man's heart. Jesus knows that this man is coming in desperation. That this man is not just trying to find signs and wonders, but this man is really coming because he's desperate. He has nothing to offer to his son, and he loves his son. Still, Jesus 
speaks to this man in this way. Here, we, is, here is where Spanish is actually, so I often, I, I tell you this, I often, when I preach in, in Ocean City, I highlight some things about English that we don't have there when we are looking at a test, but here is where Spanish is more helpful. It is that Greek is an inflected language, and when you read here, unless you, you will not know if this is you singular or you plural. But if you read it in Spanish, it will say ustedes, ustedes, which means you all, you all. Because Jesus was not talking just to the man that he has in front of him, but he was talking to everyone in that place. Jesus knew that you all, the crowd, was following signs. They were following signs and wonders. So he had a message for them. Remember, he goes to his hometown because he has no honor there because he's going to challenge their unbelief. He's going to confront their unbelief. So he is exhorting the crowd. He takes the opportunity to confront the crowd. But beside that, he's speaking to the man. What is he doing with the man? He is developing the man's faith even further. He is challenging the man's faith. The man is coming because he knows that Jesus can do something that he cannot do. But he needed to hear this in order to grow in his faith. I, I think that you will remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman. When the Syrophoenician woman is asking Jesus in desperation to cast out the demon of her daughter. And Jesus responded to her, first let the children eat all they want, referring to the Jews, to her and told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's strong, right? What Jesus is saying to her is basically saying, you know, you have no right to get the benefits before the people who deserve to get the benefits. What was the, the woman's answer to Jesus? Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She went even more humble. She didn't say, Jesus, why are you so prideful and say this to me? Jesus said to her, for such reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. I think that what Jesus is doing here is very similar. He's saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Think about that you are that official, that, that you are that royal person. With the power that you have, you, you likely are a prideful person who, who, who think that you deserve the attention of people and people serving you. And then you go to this carpenter you humble yourself to walk to this carpenter, and what you hear from him is that he's just looking for, that you're looking for signs. I don't know you, but if, if it was me, because I know myself well, 
I would have said something like, hey, wait a second, I, I walk all the way here and this is what I'm going to hear from you? Who do you think you are? Remember who, who am I? I'm a royal person. He didn't say that. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. See, he didn't engage in a theological discussion. Let us talk about theology here. I don't care about anything else. My son is dying. That's all I want to tell you, Jesus. You see, Jesus is developing this man's faith, moving him to be more humble, depending completely on him. Did he finish there? No. He make a bigger challenge for him. He says to him, go, your son will live. You hear that as good news, right? Sounds like good news. Well, think about this. This man walked all the way there. What was his request? He went to him and asked him, calm down to heal my son. And Jesus is saying to him, go, your son will live. What does it take for this man to live? It takes greater faith to trust that Jesus has the power to do that even without going and touching the man. We have a similar story. Remember the centurion that comes and asks him to heal his servant? And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But say the word and let my servant be healed. And Jesus said about this man, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I can say that the faith of the centurion was greater than the faith of this man that we have in front of us because, because Jesus is the one who is saying, go, your song is going to be okay. But this man is the saying, don't even come. You can say the word and he will be Heal. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus develops the man's faith. He comes with little faith. This man might heal my son. I have heard good news about him. Jesus challenged his pride. And the man stay on target, says, please come. And then Jesus says, go, and the man goes. You know what is interesting is that the man doesn't go right away. Because if you keep reading, he goes back the next day. Think about this. If, again, if I was there, I would fail all the time. If he says, go, I will go right away to check if he was healthy. To see if... What Jesus said was truth. But the man went the next day. So he trusts Jesus enough to stay around. Maybe hearing more teachings from Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, doing something there. But he didn't go right away because he trusted Jesus' words. Third, maturing belief. 
Now the, mon, the man is going down and his servants comes to him and they report to him that the son has recovered. And he asked them, what hour did this happen? And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, this is what I'm saying, this happened yesterday. Jesus, the man goes the following day, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And what do we see here happening? He says, and he himself believed and his household. But wait a second, we already heard that he believed. In verse 50, the man believed the word. I think what we are seeing here is that his belief is maturing, is growing. He believed in, he had enough faith to be humble enough to go to our carpenter, to stay there even though he was strongly challenged by Jesus, to go without taking Jesus with him, and now he's believing even more. And what is the fruit of that? How do we know that his faith was real and all his household? How do you think they believed? He went and shared with them. He went and shared the good news with them. He bare fruits. The Samaritan woman heard, believed, and went and shared the good news. Why? Because she believed. I think that we are all picturing this story. We all are challenged by this life where we find no answers for many of the questions that we have in front of them. Some of them are physical, but the greatest of them is the spiritual thirst that each one of us have. And we come to Jesus with little faith. And what does he do throughout our life? He develops our faith. All things work together for good, says the word of God. And what is that? That we are conformed into the image of his son. That Jesus, that God himself, is growing our faith throughout our life. That is what sanctification is. Is his faith fully mature here? He believes and he shared the gospel? No. He continues for the rest of his life growing in faith in Jesus. The same as you, the same as me. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, your faithfulness, grace, and mercy that you love people like us, that you come to people like us who many times have rejected you, that have not honored you, but you still come. And you, you are patient. And you challenge us with your word. And you develop our faith. And you grow our faith daily. We thank you for that wonderful grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.